0: Coming up, a sad styles production.
1: Hello and welcome. My name is Mikey Aaronworth, signing on to the sign-off of Frameworth Podcast for yet another week. And I am joined in studio by the ever-smiling. Look at you. You are hey. excited to be here. Brian Aaronworth, it has been a couple of weeks. We got ahead on our recordings a little bit. Yeah. But now we're in studio. You're happy as a clam. You just had a little vacation as well.
0: Yeah, what's a vacation? What's a vacation? I haven't had one for a few years, yeah.
1: That's fair, but it was a little golf trip. You got out, you got some sun. That's That's probably why the smiles are there, right?
0: Well, I not really because the smiling on the way out coming back coming back not so much
1: not so much uh that is the voice of brian aaron with president of Frameworth sports marketing and as always we like to start off the podcast by saying a big thank you to all of our listeners who got out there and gave us some ratings and reviews on itunes or your podcast platform of choice we're going to read one at random no giveaway this week but a little shout out to mark no no let's give something away we're going to give something away Yeah, let's give something away all right what are we going to give away uh who is you, review
0: the, other- the, the reviewer from where
1: where is the reviewer from? Uh the reviewer is Mikey know? Aaronworth uh, on no. Apple Podcasts. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, uh we don't know where they're from yet. Okay,
0: uh, so let's do uh let's do a um what the heck? Let's do a Sydney Crosby. It's Christmas time. A wow. Sydney Crosby. 8x10 signed photo.
1: 8 by, okay, listen, you heard it here first. This is why we have the big guns on the podcast. Well, we appreciate the reviews. I hope it's a good one. I hope it's a good one. <laughs> Otherwise, is...
0: he's going to get a uh, Nail Yakupov <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Nail's a good guy and he's Great a Great guy, yeah. Um, so we've got uh, Mark P. 1126 Obviously, people listening with bated breath now just to hear if it's going to be their name. Uh, the premier show for sports fans and memorabilia collectors. Hey, that's kind of what we pin ourselves as, so that makes sense. This podcast is a must-listen for sports fans, especially the those of you who like to collect memorabilia and autographs with an impressive lineup of knowledgeable guests. The hosts guide the conversation seamlessly and deliver an outstanding product. Thank you so much, Mark P. 1126 We're sending you an item worthy of that review. Uh, Reach out to us, sign off pod at framework.com and we'll get that sent out to you as soon as we can. Now, uh, without further ado, we are joined by a guest this week. Uh, This week we're joined by a man whose name has come up a few times indirectly during past interviews. Together with his family, he's left an indelible mark on the city of Toronto, the world of hockey, and the lives of all those touched by his charitable endeavors. It's possible you might not recognize his name, but it's nearly impossible not to have felt his influence. And we're going to tell you how, as we sit down this week with Tom Bitove. Tom, thank you for joining us. Well, I'd like to meet that guy. And he sounds <laughs> great, right? He sounds great. I got to start writing introductions yeah. for him. <laughs> really? Can you write one for me? <laughs> not an epitaph yet, but... I- <laughs>
2: let's not go there <laughs> let's
1: not go there yet no 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 but uh, thanks for joining us Tom obviously we got a ton to get into because you uh, your life has touched so many parts especially of the city of Toronto uh, you and your family together most notably I think uh, as as a point of of, of, of reference for what we want to get into this week is your involvement with Wayne Gretzky's restaurant you know Wayne comes up a ton on this podcast and uh, and you you were directly involved with that but before we get in there uh, uh, I, I do kind of want to talk about a little bit of your of your of your history and and your family, and then we'll get into the obvious you know, specifics about Wayne Gretzky's restaurant. But you're one of five children with a family with a fairly prominent name. The Bitov name is, is something that a lot of people would recognize, even if you're not fully familiar with well. That's why I talked about the idea of, of being influenced or feeling your, your influence being a part of Toronto or even in Canada. Um, you've been very vocal in interviews uh, that I've read, it, one such being in the Globe, Globe and Mail, uh, of the fact that you as a family have somehow managed to remain close in spite of the fact that you've been working together in business for so long. I bring this up because, you know, our family is, is relatively similar. We've had our siblings kind of take a stab at at working at Frameworth as well, but we've maintained uh, some closeness in spite of the fact that there are always going to be some disagreements in business. Has that been difficult for you with the family to maintain, you know, who's in charge of what and maintain this uh, this uh, uh, calm and, and and respectful demeanor among your family?
2: I'd I'd say yes and no to that, Uh, Mike. The the family has, we're one of the rare families that made it through the the full second generation transition. Right. Uh, I remember reading a book many, many years ago uh, that talked about 1% of the families make it through to a successful transition to the second generation. So we're we're fortunate enough to to do that. But it it didn't come without a lot of hard work. My parents obviously invested a lot of time and energy in it to, to start. Um, as a kid, you're just accepting what's going on in the business, but you, uh, well then later when you become a parent, you realize how much your parents sacrificed and put into it and, and guided you. Absolutely. Sort of and and we spent a lot of time as a family on this topic. We've got outside advisors uh, that are part of our board, which are an integral part of our board, and and uh, they have a, a, a serious uh, commitment to our family, and, and it's just great to have
1: I think, I think some of that outside influence is, is, is definitely important. I mean, we've, we've seen what can happen uh, with, with a sort of a family run company just in recent history. Just watch succession. The Rogers. Well, I, you're <laughs> yeah. ste- stepping on the punchline a little bit, but we've oh, seen, sorry, Mikey, <laughs> sorry. We've seen, we've seen what happens to families like we the don't Rogers rehearse family. this in
0: advance. Not so we enough, don't know. No.
1: Not enough. Well, I mean, I mean, owing to the, the idea that we just gave away a signed Sidney Crosby photo and I didn't know we were even going to do it. So it's yeah, fine. There are surprises aplenty plenty on this podcast. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 the Rogers family is an example of a family that was was in the news with with uh, uh, some some shifts in in a power dynamic. There or attempted shifts. Uh, also, the Roy family from Succession. I was going to ask, are, do you watch Succession? Uh, fabulous. It's a great show. You, as someone who's involved in a family business right. uh, in that capacity, does that show take on a bit of a different meaning to you?
2: I'd have to say yes. I mean, you, you, there's so many similarities to situations that they're in that we have been in and, and, and battled through in the past, and, and you, you, you can connect with a lot of those items in, on a firsthand basis.
1: Which of the Roy family members oh, no. would you say <laughs> you are most like? I can't go there. I can't. <laughs>
2: I can't Okay, go we, won't, we won't go there. Because then you're going to ask me which, which one of my siblings fit. Yeah, yeah no, I'm not. Let's
1: let's not do that. It's impossible to navigate that because sure. one of the, the key tenets of that show is that everyone is in some way deplorable. Uh, so we, we don't need to compare ourselves to them one way or another. Um, obviously, we, we as I mentioned, we want to get into the whole idea of of working at Wayne Gretzky's restaurant and, and opening that and managing that. Um, uh, but before we do that, what about in general how you got involved in the restaurant industry in, in the first place? I'm assuming, assuming uh, that with with Wayne Gretzky it wasn't just approaching a guy on the street who happened to be Wayne and, and saying let's open a restaurant you must have had some experience with that prior to your meeting with Wayne
2: yeah the the family had been his in the uh, restaurant business historically uh, it actually goes back to my dad uh, when he got married to my mom in 1949 um, your dad was, John he, John Sr. John Sr. he was the youngest of three siblings and they were all married and they're living with uh, the parents above an 800-square-foot butcher shop on Queen Street East. Mm. And my dad, uh, being a pretty smart guy, did the math pretty quickly and realized that eight people living on 800 square feet uh, and having a butcher shop that's 800 square feet isn't going to last very long. So right. he took his, uh, essentially the money that they got from the marriage, uh, from the wedding, and uh, my mom being the, the brains behind it financially, and they, they built a 14-stool restaurant up on Avenue Road. And a cute little story there, it was open from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m., and uh, my dad was behind the counter seven days a week oh, wow. for 16, 18 hours. And uh, w- w- I know this for a fact because a girl I went to high school with, her father was the, the subject of this discussion. Uh, my dad uh, knew him, and he was a, a well-known lawyer. He came, uh, he'd came. he come to the restaurant in the morning for a coffee, and then in the, in the evening on his way home for a piece of pie and a, and a coffee. And uh, one day he's there, and he says to my dad, "You and your brother are the hardest working guys I've ever seen in this business." And my dad says, "Me and my brother." He goes, "Yeah, you you and your brother." Goes, "I come in the morning, one of you is here. I come in the evening, one of you is here." (gasps) My dad goes, "That's me."
1: (laughs) What a great story! Wow.
2: (laughs) Well, the other part of it was my mom was the day uh, waitress, and my my aunt, my dad's sister, was the evening waitress. So the the three of them are in that fourteen. And trying to raise
0: a family at the same time.
2: Starting as, as we know, the family started much earlier in our age at yeah. that point in time. So by 23 years old, they already had my sister. So things that had already started. But um, then he, he made that into a small chain of restaurants. They were called Javif shops. And uh, he had five of them in the city of Toronto and uh, did did well with those. Then he decided he he liked the fixturing business, the restaurant fixturing business. So right. he got that for a number of years and then... The opportunity came for him to uh, take over a franchise out of the States called Big Boy Family Restaurants. Mm-hmm. So he became the Canadian franchisee and we had 32 of those. And that's when I started getting involved in business. I just, from the day I first worked in a restaurant at 10 years old, I just fell in love with the business. It, people say I'm crazy, but I, it, was, it was a passion. And to this day, it's never been work for me. It's, it's always been fun and has always been a great uh, profession to, to do. I so
1: I was gonna I was gonna ask because you know it's not it's not everyone you know we as as a family uh, uh, did you know we had these conversations about is this the business that we want to be in you know I I was probably around the same age ten years old and my dad would have me coming in working summers and things like that I didn't know off the bat that this was something I wanted to spend my life doing I went to school for uh, for for English and philosophy and law and thought I was gonna branch out but you knew from an early age eh, that it was was it was it the atmosphere of a restaurant or was it the business side of it. Which which was your uh, preference there?
2: It was just being around people, making people happy, just uh, working hard and being rewarded for it, and mm-hmm. not not financially being uh, rewarded for it by watching the people's smiles on their face when they're when they're leaving. Yeah. And uh, to, to be fair, my dad did everything in his power. My pair, both parents did everything in their power to convince us not to go into the restaurant business. He, really, my dad referred to it as the pit of all businesses. You're you're working when your friends are playing. You're playing when your friends are working. And yeah it's just a tough tough job you can't ever get away yeah. from it you can serve a thousand people in a day but if not if one of those thousand has a bad experience it's made it's blown away your whole day so he did everything in his power to convince us not to get in the business but um i as a cute little aside many years later i asked him if he really didn't want us to get in the business. And my dad, whenever he didn't want to answer a question, would just look at you and (laughs) smile. And he looked at me and smiled. So I think deep down he was happy that we we all joined the business. But uh,
1: little reverse psychology. Yeah,
2: in retrospect, yes.
1: Uh, Logan Roy would be proud. Are you kidding me? That is, yeah. (laughs) No, you know what? And
0: I, you know, we've talked about my experiences in the restaurant business. Well, I think it's a a great business. I love the business. Uh, Tough hours. It wasn't as tough on me as uh, most people because. It was my first restaurant. was pretty successful from the beginning, so it took it a little easier. Got more managers, played a little more golf, but I was there all the time. Whether you're working uh, physically as the manager of the the day, or you're just being there to make sure that your customers are happy, it's long, long hours, which is not necessarily conducive to a happy marriage. So you gotta (laughs) you gotta think about that too. Your wife's gotta be on side with it.
2: Well, things like dinner, uh, you know, having dinner at six o'clock was never. an option option. especially once I got married right and my wife fortunately her family was in the restaurant business so she knew that I'll be home at six means I could be home at nine I could be home at 11 yeah as soon as the business warranted I would get home and so um 39 years later we're still married so I guess that worked out okay. I guess yeah. I guess
1: it did I guess it did I mean it's it's I'm, I'm assuming that there would have been more difficult times as you were as you were sort of uh, building up and, and now hopefully you're able to find other ways to kind of supplement your time and have more of a regimented schedule. Uh, but I want to get into a little bit about how you transitioned from from that to working with the Gretzky family in opening up Wayne Gretzky's restaurant in Toronto. Uh, 1993, it closed recently in, in 2020. Uh, what were those initial conversations like, and how did you get to the point where you were going to be having a meeting with Wayne Gretzky in the first place?
2: It's actually a, a great story. A friend of ours, Brian Cooper. Yeah, we uh, was a, talked about him earlier. Dear friend of mine and a very close friend of Wayne's. And uh, our family had had a uh, pretty good success at this point in time. We developed the hard rock cafes in Canada. We had the restaurants at, uh, at Skydome yep. uh, Rogers center. Now we had uh, the travel centers on the highways. We had uh, a bunch of uh, very successful businesses and um, Brian Wayne, Wayne was injured at the start of the 92 93 season and uh, he had the back issues and he uh, didn't play till I think around Christmas, maybe just after Christmas. Anyhow, he had some time so him and Brian had been talking and they talked about Wayne started talking about life after hockey and, mm-hmm. and Brian discussed the concept of a restaurant with him and he he said he, restaurants terrified him because they were so labor intensive and he had to have the right partner and everything right. and we, we, you know Wayne wasn't going to run a restaurant so right. who would he ever take? and he, he had a thousand offers over the years to do restaurants, but he just wasn't comfortable moving ahead with any of them. So Brian, uh, being the good friend he is, suggested that Wayne have a chat with me. Uh, he said he thought that the Bito family uh, would be a perfect partner for Wayne and the Gretzky family. Um, three nights later, I'm at home. The phone rings, and it's Mike Barnett, who I had never spoken to in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike introduced himself. We had a chat, and Mike fortunately knew the restaurant business, the bar business, because he had been in the business for a period of time. And he said, uh, "I don't know what Wayne sees in the business, but he wants to do something." So, uh, wow, playing can, a little hard to get there. Hey, can, can you come down and have a meeting with us? So I. I took my best negotiator that I ever dealt with, my father Mm -hmm. and our our lawyer, our corporate lawyer. And we went down and met with Wayne and Janet and uh, Mike and their in-house counsel. And in two and a half hours, we had a deal done. It seems like that's quicker than you would normally
1: have a deal done. Now, I'm so fascinated by this idea because at this point in time, you know, negotiations, business negotiations, you're no stranger to them. And you've probably had negotiations at, at this point with very high up, powerful people but none of them named Wayne Gretzky. Was there an added level of stress or concern going into a negotiation with an athlete, either because he is Wayne Gretzky or maybe he's a bit of a wild card because he's not as familiar with the negotiation process? What are you thinking prior to stepping into this meeting?
2: I remember talking with my dad at length on the flight out there about how we were going to handle it. And uh, my dad said, we're just going to let it happen. I mean, Mm -hmm. if it was meant to be, it was meant to be, we're not going to try and force us on Wayne. Wayne's not going to try and force us into a deal that we don't want. So we're just going to play this out and see how the discussions roll out. And, uh, Pretty much everything we discussed that day. Well, to, to get a deal done in two and a half hours is pretty impressive. But everything we discussed that day uh, was based on Wayne's brand and our the way that we were going to promote Wayne's brand and and, and develop his brand. Because at that point in time, brands weren't all that big on athletes. Right. It, right. it was it was kind of the nascent stage of branding for ath- athletes, and uh, Wayne was at the forefront. You know, as Wayne said to me at, at one point in time, you know, can you imagine how Cordy Howe would have been if he understood branding?
0: Right, right. Well, you know what? It's a funny thing because I, um, if you know Wayne, knowing Wayne as well as I do, and which isn't as well as as many, but I know that sitting down at a meeting, it won't take Wayne long to make a decision if he feels good about what the conversation is. Right. So when you say that he, you guys have two and a half hours and made, you know, pretty much done the deal. That doesn't surprise me at all because knowing you and knowing Wayne, if he has to have that good feeling, and once that happens, the details can be worked out a little bit later. But he
1: was comfortable with the thing. I, that's that's the way Wayne works. It feels it feels like that makes sense, and it and it checks out. I'm curious about uh, two things. One, just a quick question: uh, Is this the first deal or agreement that you had signed with an athlete at this point? This yes. this is the first one. Now, how similar? In actuality, was the restaurant compared to the conversation that you guys were having I- initially about what you wanted the restaurant
2: to be? Oh, it ended up being exactly what we had discussed. Uh, it was it was all about Wayne's brand and our ability to execute Wayne's brand. Yeah, we knew how to operate a restaurant, but to, every day we were in business, if there was a business proposal put in front of us, our first question is, how does it affect Wayne's brand? Right whether that was year one or year 27, it was the same question we would ask and we would always answer it the same way because we realized that we were honored and in a very special place to be able to work with Wayne's Brand and we realized that, that was the reason people came to the restaurant. So it wasn't matter what Tom Bitto wanted. It was matter right. of what, how, what the fans wanted out of, out of the Wayne Gretzky brand. How, yeah. how
1: long, sorry, just one, how, how long did it take you to familiarize yourself with exactly what Wayne wanted? I, I'm assuming in the beginning you would have had to kind of reference him, you know, hey, this is where we want to move. Is this okay? But by the end of your relationship with, or, you know, after X number of years, did you essentially know without even asking what? He would want or or, or not like in, in in his own branding.
2: I'd have to say yes. As time went along, I mean, it was pretty much that way from the start because we would spend a considerable amount of time on what would Wayne what would Wayne do in the situation. Right. What what would Wayne want his brand to reflect in the situation? So right. it, it was always an integral part of every discussion we had. Um, but yeah, it. Uh, I won't say it got easier, but it became more natural.
1: I bet. Yeah.
2: You know,
0: I, I'm, I'll i just say this about anybody, and we've had involvement with Wayne over the years. We've had Sidney Crosby's relationship. And I would say to anybody working with professional athletes, if you want to maintain a relationship with an athlete, especially superstars, that's exactly what Tom's saying is exactly what needs to happen. You have to put their brand first. Right. Every. And, and I go back to when we were starting with Sydney Crosby or, or Wayne. Every decision you make has to have that question in the back of your mind. What would Sydney want to do? What would Wayne want to do? And if you can do that, you can build that great relationship with them. And it happens with Wayne's Winery. It happens with the restaurant. It happens with Sydney Crosby. Everybody's unique, and they don't want to be portrayed as something they're not. Right. Know? So Sydney doesn't want a, uh, want a, um, uh, a podcast. Uh, or, sorry, a... Um, uh, what's what's a wrong Twitter, with the podcast? Twi- no, no. <laughs> Sidney, he may do this one time. Sydney doesn't want <laughs> Twitter to, account. Twitter accounts. Yeah. He doesn't want to be involved in social media because it, it has implications that he doesn't like and all that stuff. So what Tom's saying is dead on, I think, uh, especially with people like Wayne Sidney.
1: Yeah, and it, it feels as though uh, it was almost... Uh, most of this was unwritten at the time that you, you signed the agreement. So it feels as though the blueprint that we follow, you know, echoes of it are a result of what you and Wayne had first worked on. As you mentioned, it was not very common for an athlete to come out with his own branding of a restaurant at that time. And especially working with someone who knows the business so well, the number of times that those relationships probably happened and failed versus your example of it, of it succeeding. I think everyone kind of looks to that and thinks, what is it about it that works? I mean, it was so successful that it, I believe the first, agreement was for 10 years, is that right? That's right. And the next X number of years wasn't an agreement at all on paper, was it? Can you explain what, what happened after the, the scope of the first well, the agreement? first 10
2: years went by in a, in a blur. I mean, it was just incredible how quickly it went by. And uh, we were coming up to the 10th year anniversary, and uh, I just thought we should have a, a formal document to extend the re- relationship. And, uh, the new negotiation kind of got, I wouldn't say challenged, but it just wasn't really proceeding the way I wanted it to. So Wayne happened to be in town one day and I just said to him, look at the, here are the three issues that I'm looking at and mm-hmm. I, I'm not comfortable giving in on them because I think they would affect the brand in a negative way. And when right. said, it's good enough for me, let's do it. I said, what do you mean? It's good enough for you. Let's do it. He goes, I'll tell his counsel to just get it done. So I said, so we shook hands and said, done. Well, the council and I still couldn't get a document done. So it was about six months go by and Wayne goes, I gave you my word. I'm good for it. You're good for it. Let's just keep it going. So based on that, we proceeded to have the next 17 years without an agreement. It's just based on a handshake.
1: It's, I love hearing that. And dad, I'm sure you have That's some the thoughts same. on that as well. Some of my best
0: clients had had a, an agreement, a document in place for the first year, two years. And after that, nothing. And the guys that we have um, just, continue on because of the relationship you've built over that and the trust. Mm -hmm. I think that's more than anything is the trust that, that they have in you to do the job, right?
2: Absolutely
1: yeah it feels it feels like uh uh, some of the best relationships you know not to besmirch the names of of lawyers because we we need them in a lot of ways but if you can maintain a relationship without the need for that sort of paperwork and you know there could be horror stories as a result of that but it seems like that is absolutely not the case with with you and Wayne or dad with you and Sydney and and some of your other athletes as well Uh, but Wayne isn't the only person who was involved obviously in in the restaurant you know it was it was a family affair um so two Families with fairly uh, well-known names coming together to create what, what would become one of the most iconic restaurants in Toronto for a variety of reasons. But you've been quoted as saying to Wayne that his father was your best employee. Can you can you uh, explain kind of what you meant sure. by that, and uh, and if so, why you didn't pay him for being your best employee? Come on.
2: Well, God bless Wally. He was uh, one of my favorite people in the history of the world. He was he was just such a great human being. But. Uh, yeah, well, Wayne, Wayne would come by the restaurant and everything would be going well and he'd see you to ask questions and, and it was my dad good and everybody's everybody's fine, everybody's great. And I said, Wayne, your dad is the best employee I've got because he <laughs> makes sure everybody's happy. He makes sure everybody's got an autograph. He visits every table for a picture and all I have to do is buy him dinner.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he, he will work for food. He we'll ribs
2: ribs. <laughs> ribs, back ribs. What were
1: some of, uh, back ribs were his favorite dish? I know you also had... Uh, uh, Pierogies. There, there were two dishes that you had to make sure were absolutely correct, true to the source material. Do you, do, do you recall what those two I mean, dishes were?
2: Pierogies and the uh,
1: meatloaf. And the meatloaf. And, and were, were those up to the standards of Wally and Wayne?
2: All, always were.
0: Always Wayne, were. Whenever I was in the restaurant with Wayne, he'd order the pierogies. He'd say, you got to try these... This is mom's
2: recipe, grandmother's
0: grandmother's recipe. Yes, and he yeah, these are the best pierogies. And I come from uh, my wife is Ukrainian, so we get some pretty good pierogies. They're really good. They were always uh, some uh, a staple item. Pierogies,
1: <laughs> were kind of our, uh, our our currency, our trading card with Wally. In a couple occasions, we gave him some of ours, and he gave us some of his, and it was uh, just kind of this mashup of seeing you know which which ones were were the best. I you know what I can't uh, besmirch the name of our Baba who who created our pierogies, but I'm sure everyone's family is particular to to their own yeah uh the only two dishes i believe that lasted from 93 to 2020 were the meatloaf and that's the, true and the i mean
2: it, it, the process at the start was i took the entire menu to wayne mm. and wayne's attitude was like tom you're the restaurateur you know what sells yeah i said well, what what's got to be on this menu What like what authenticates the menu to you to anybody that's a gretzky and he goes well the pierogies and the meatloaf and so that was you know, the standard that we set for the next 27 years was the progies and Milo. Everything kind of evolved around them.
1: See, I love that because I think there's probably this mentality, maybe more so now than than back then, that if an athlete or a, a star, a celebrity goes into the world of like the restaurant industry or or an athlete goes into a movie as an actor, that there's a level of expectation that it's just going to be good based on the name. You know, the the athlete is going to draw people to the movie because it's an athlete in a movie. Oh, this is great. You know, or, or an athlete is going to have a restaurant and people are going to go because it's the athlete's restaurant. This is great. But at the core of what you guys were doing was maintaining this level of authenticity Uh, to the Gretzky brand, to the family. And we had a similar conversation with Glenn Gretzky and Lori Halomas a few weeks back when we were in conversation with them about Great Two, the book about Wally, the guy we're talking about. Uh, And they had said that so much of the Gretzky brand is about making people feel like they're a part of the family. And that idea of the meatloaf dish and the pierogi dish, you know, sure, it's two dishes, it's food. But at the core of the mentality of including that on the menu over the scope of the entire existence of the restaurant is you guys saying this has to be a family affair. And I love that. I think that that's fantastic. Now, you obviously, speaking of family, had a a fantastic role model in in John Sr. And and you've already said that a couple of times on on this podcast, how much you you learned from John, your dad. Um, But Wally was known to be a fantastic role model as well. And you having spent so much time with him, did you also feel that he was somewhat of a father figure to you in some ways? And if so, is there anything in particular that you had learned from him?
2: Just how to treat people. You watched the guy, he was in a situation where there could be a thousand people in the room and he'd make sure that every one of those thousand people walked away happy. Right. And realizing he couldn't touch each one of them, but whether it was the way he spoke to the group, or whatever it was, he, he always had such a great sense of the moment that he was in. And, you know, he had that serious brain injury back in the yeah. early 90s. And uh, was a different man. I I met him after the brain injury. So I didn't know him before. Right. But I was told he was a totally different man after the brain injury and much more accommodating and everything else. Before that, he he was referred to as Dr. No. Because as you know, Wayne never says no to anything. He expects us to say no for him. Right. right. And and Wally was the guy that had to say no to everybody. Um, Mike Barnett assumed that role after uh, yeah, well, Mike, Mike did a good <laughs> job of that. But speaking of that, we should get him on one day. Um, uh, a,
0: a great story. I think I've even told it about, um, being in the restaurant when Wally and Wayne are there together. Oh, wow. And it was inevitable that, and Wayne showed up at the restaurant a lot. A lot. I mean, whenever he was in town, that was his home office. Yep. Like he, he go from the, from the hotel, And they'd say, well, let's go over to the restaurant for a bite to eat. And we'd we'd go over there whenever I was with them. And when Walter was there with Wayne, um, one story, it was a great story. Walter was so accommodating, and I've seen him do this with Wayne a number of times. Walking out of the restaurant, it it was inevitable that when Wayne was in the restaurant, word would get out almost immediately. And people would start waiting outside if, you know, Mrs. some of them would yeah, come in for a drink sorry. looking for <laughs> yeah. but, and And others would wait outside that, you know, kids would be out there, everybody would be out there. And not just people walking the street. Guys within 10 minutes would have booklets of hockey cards and things for him right. to sign. And one time walking out of the restaurant with Walter and Wayne, and, and Wayne was in a bit of a hurry, and he had a car ready to pick him up. I think he was actually going with me to the airport. And while he was there... And the kids are all out there with their binders and their things to sign and jerseys, it, literally within minutes of them arriving in the restaurant. On the way out, Walter's standing beside him. And I'm over in the car waiting for Wayne. And he finally gets in the car after about 15 minutes. We're late for the airport. And he, I said, what's going on? He says, my dad. He says, <laughs> he says, I'm signing autographs for all these people. He says, I've signed them all. Okay, there's like 20 people out there. I've signed them all. And people, he says, people, he wanted to leave. And his dad says, no, there's a guy with a binder there. He says, dad, that guy's been back to his car three times to get more (laughs) items. He says, I have to go. And he says, he's got to make a living, too, you know. And and so Wayne, Wayne, he was half mad and half laughing. And off we go to the airport. That was Walter. He wouldn't leave without, uh, he wouldn't, he would sign every autograph and make Wayne sign him. So it drove Wayne crazy when he was with his dad.
2: Well, a similar story. We were in the restaurant one time, and we were in what we called Gordy's room. The room was a tribute to Gordy Howe, which Wayne loved. It was the private dining room there, and and we're just organizing a few people. You may have been been there, been there that day, Brian, but um, Wayne just wanted to have some pierogies before he left, and uh, he he stands and he gets everybody's attention to him. He says, "Dad, please leave the curtains closed. I just want to have dinner, a bite to eat, (laughs) and then I'll sign whatever you want after that, Dad." So Wally goes, Okay, okay, Wayne. And so everybody sits down when pierogi's come for Wayne. He couldn't didn't have one bite taken and maybe, maybe one bite at that point in time. And Wally comes to the door and says, Wayne, I've got these people here from Detroit. And I know what you said. You didn't want them to, <laughs> you, you didn't want anybody to bother you. But they're leaving right now. And they I told them that they could come in and get an autograph. So they come in. Before you know it, there's a lineup and oh. Wayne, Wayne just raises his arms and goes, Oh, well.
1: What am I gonna do? It's my dad. I'm I'm so curious about that because obviously, you know. Having Wayne there is a huge draw. His name is one of the reasons why people wanted to check out the restaurant in the first place. Obviously, they'd, they'd come for the name, they'd stay for the food and the service. But the idea that when Wayne was there, people would come and linger and hope for an autograph and this and that, great stories. But I'm curious as a, as a business owner you know, as a restaurant, you want turnover in those tables, you want more people coming in and eating and spending. Was there ever a part of you that's like, this is great, it's got attention, but like, we've got a business to run, we need to start flipping some tables
2: here? Not really. I mean, it, it, the people were generally pretty respectful. Yeah. Um, we, we had a few situations, Brian didn't refer to them as pros, but the the, the pros, the guys with the binders of cards, yes. they, they would challenge you from time to time because they would They'd come in and, and they'd identify the people that aren't pros and they'd give them a, two pictures and say, you get both of these signed, give one back to me and and, and, <laughs> you, and you can keep one. Right. It, oh, so, and that's they why they call tactics, them pros. Because oh, they yeah. know, yeah, yeah. So, but but Wayne was always good at picking them off. And he, again, I never saw Wayne y- use the word no for anything. Right. He expected us generally to use it, but Wayne was such a perfect gentleman that he would never say no. But he'd give you the look and he'd look at the guy, and I knew who he was talking about, and I'd go at the guy and say, Okay, you've got enough sign pal.
0: Yeah. He was so he was a savant Wayne when it came Absolutely. to that stuff like that. Wayne would always spend, anytime I was there, he would always give up like at least five minutes, usually longer, at the end of dinner, when he went out and he would walk around the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And and so he it wasn't his dad forcing him all the time. Right, right, right. It was two stories. One, that, that he would give enough time to walk around the restaurant and sign. Uh, and people that weren't even expecting him to or didn't even know he was there, especially when they didn't know he was there. And he'd see a group of kids that, with their parents at the table, and he'd walk over to the table and sit down and say, mind if I sit here for a second? And so blew him away. And the other one that was the best story I've ever seen, been involved with was Wayne, was waiting for him. He was up in your office, came down to the bar. I was at the bar. He said, come on down for a drink and shoot the shit. So I'm waiting at the bar. There's two guys next to me. I've told this story before. Two guys next to me. And so I left a seat in between me and the two guys, thinking, Wayne, give him a little gap. So if he comes down, he'll sit on the left side of me. The guys were on the right, and there'd be a seat in between. And he comes down, sits right in between the two guys. And and they're they're just looking back and forth, going nuts. Okay. But they were respectful, didn't ask for an autograph. They had a camera on the on the bar and uh didn't say a thing to Wayne, weren't didn't want to bother him. They were just thrilled to sit next to him. And when Wayne got up to go, he looks at the guys and he says, Is that your camera? And the guy says, Yeah, it is. He says, Would you mind if I have my picture taken with you? Amazing. Like Blew me, the guys were just, he didn't wait, he knew they wanted a photo. Yeah. He asked them if yeah. he could take a picture with them. I've told that story before, it. but it's it's my favorite one of, of autograph people with Wayne.
2: There, and there's a million of them. There was the cold night in January in their first few years, and Wayne was in town with the Kings, but he, he didn't plan a visit to the restaurant. But around 10 o'clock, 10.30, he said he was going to drop by. So essentially, there's you walk in the door of the restaurant, and Wayne's got his back to the front door. And I'm facing the front door we've got our elbows on the bar. right? And these two young couples of certain uh, descent, uh, and I say that only because it kind of plays out the way in the story, but the two couples walk in the door, and they're standing no more than maybe six feet away from Wayne and I. And uh, the girl says, I wonder if Wayne Gretzky ever comes here. And The guys go, nah, he never comes here. Don't you know what these guys do? They sell their name for money, and they don't never show up at the restaurant. <laughs> and I'll guarantee you, Wayne Gretzky's never been here. Wayne looks at me, winks, turns around, and goes, "Hi, I'm Wayne Gretzky." Oh my god! The four of them almost passed out on the floor. Beyond the <laughs> That's funniest a great thing I've ever seen. I've never heard that story. That's fantastic. And it was just Wayne and I at the bar, and and. I mean, it was, it was such a quiet night. There was snowing outside. There couldn't have been ten people in the in the in the bar that night. It was a really, really quiet night. And he's fork locked in, and he just got blown away.
1: That must have that must have felt great. For, I I know that you know these moments probably you know he's got so many of them that that maybe they they lose a little bit of their luster, but a moment like that's got to feel pretty good too. Oh, absolutely. I, I you know you, you talk about how yeah there are pros who who try to get his autograph and how he's a pro at recognizing these things and knowing and still giving what he can but trying not to go overboard one quick story from my perspective we had an event here with wayne gretzky years ago at at Frameworth, uh, a little gala gala evening um and before the signing before before we went out and he was taking his pictures and going to talk for the q and a and all that he was in here doing uh, some signings for for parts of the giveaway of the event he had to, some jerseys to sign there were 65 jerseys left that he had to sign for people at the event Prior to him arriving during the day, I laid out all the jerseys, all 65 of them. I double counted. I triple counted. I quadruple counted. I did not want him to think we were trying to get one more than we needed. And he's in here and he starts signing. He's going through, this is later in the night, he's going through, he's signing jersey by jersey by jersey. Uh, he's, he's talking to us as he's going, as he always is. He's being cordial. And he gets to a point and he says, that was 65. And then he keeps signing and the the room goes quiet. And in my head, all I'm thinking about is the story where he... Skates past six people in order to score a goal and goes to the ref and says, "There's six people. It's too many men on the ice. How did you miss that?" And I'm thinking, "I missed something." It's Wayne Gretzky, of course. I missed it. It turns out he, I think, because he was talking to us, he did miss count, which I thought was an impossibility. But for that moment, I was petrified. I just <laughs> dripping in sweat the whole time. I just let that one go. It was that well. Was, I
0: talked about the trust you need to exactly. have, and that's, that's the
1: first way you're going to ruin that the was, trust. That right? was my concern. Absolutely. Now, yeah. I, I do want to get your opinion on this, Tom, because uh, I have a, you know a ton of friends from out of town i'm sure you speak to a lot of people out of town as well dad who come to toronto to take part in the history of the nhl by visiting the hall of fame maybe Scotiabank uh or at the time air canada center maybe Maple leaf gardens and they always you know start their trip at the hall of fame and end it at wayne gretzky's restaurant as a part of of this iconic hockey staple is there a part of you that takes pride in knowing that that you created this this pillar of what of what represents hockey? I mean, it essentially became the Hall of Fame for Wayne Gretzky with all the items that were in there. Do you often
2: reflect on that, knowing that you you had a, you played a part in that? I don't know if I reflect on it. I mean, I'm obviously honored and proud to be such a, a significant part of that. Um, I, I look back at it and say that uh, in my wildest dreams, I never saw 27 years. I mean, I when we did a 10-year deal, I thought if we make 10 years, that'll be great. So right. that was kind of significant. But um, we built a lot of our marketing, especially weekend weekend marketing plans, around the fact that the family of four that's coming from Timmins for the weekend to go to a Leaf game is going to go to the Hall of Fame right. hockey game at Wayne Gretzky's Restaurant. So we mm-hmm. can't let those people down. It's their magical weekend. They've spent all year planning for this. As, as we know, tickets cost a, a lot at... Maple Leaf Gardens, sure. slash Air Canada Centre, slash Scotiabank Centre, Scotiabank Arena, and so it's, it's, it's we're part of a significant spend for these people. We have to make sure that, that they're special. And we used to talk about that family four that walks in the door, how we treating them. That that was how we how we measured our business. That's right. an
0: interesting thing because actually I never even thought of that way, but I did know it happened. That's the big hockey trifecta. Exactly. Yeah. When you come to Toronto. And our friends who listen to this on a regular basis from Tignish, P.E.I. Yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> it's always the hockey
0: hall of fame, the the uh, the hockey game, and then Wayne Gretzky's before or after for drinks, and sometimes both. Right or food and drinks <laughs> food and drinks but in those guys case it's mostly drinks yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I i love that idea it's a great it's a great image and i think it, it you know w- was absolutely a pillar of 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 you know the the consciousness of hockey at the time and 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 you know it's a it's a shame it's closed but obviously everything comes to an end at, at some point in time and and i think maybe that'll wrap up a little bit of our conversations about that well, restaurant before but, you
0: move on yeah. one one last thing because um being in the memorabilia business right I had a, a good opportunity to take take a look at what the memorabilia that they had there. Yeah. Which was amazing. The kinds of products, his first jerseys with with uh the Oilers and the WHA and uh his sticks, his 802 goals, his helmets from from Canada Cups, all that stuff was in the restaurant. Right. Uh, millions of dollars worth of product, especially now is stuff's gone. Uh, now I'm having a
2: panic attack. Oh, <laughs> no,
0: I mean, it just blew me away when I really kind of looked at all the inventory that was there, sticks, everything that was of consequence was either in Wally's basement or at the restaurant. And not only just Wayne's stuff. Like there's Michael Jordan, like Wayne would trade stuff from other guys. So Michael Jordan game worn jerseys and shoes, which are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars at this point in time, was all at the restaurant, which right. blew people away. They just, half the time they'd spend eating, the other half, they'd just look at everything that was in the displays. It was just phenomenal. And what's yeah.
2: incredible, Brian, is that in 27 years, I, I don't even have to touch wood because we're closed now, <laughs> 27 years, not one item ever got stolen from the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, that's when, amazing. We, when you really think, actually, we had one thing stolen at the, from the restaurant in our first year of business. Wayne has a pension for signing things, just when the, for the sake of signing things. Well, it could be a newspaper, could sure. be a desk, could be. Well, one time at the urinal, <laughs> he signed his name.
0: <laughs> a few days
2: later, we came. I got a call and it's "Can you please come downstairs?" I went downstairs and somebody had sawed his the drywall. No, He'd take his name out.
1: Oh my God! <laughs> we
2: have no idea when.
1: Oh, wow. That's I. I thought you were going to say that that he actually signed the urinal and there's like there's a story of uh, of of Hemingway uh, dragging a, a toilet away from a bar that that he used to <laughs> yeah, be saying that. saying I put so much booze into this thing I that I feel like I own it now. <laughs> I imagine someone taking the urinal off the wall and carrying that home with the them. drywall
2: right there, big gap right above the wow urinal. Oh,
1: wow man. That's uh, I mean I mean I think it would it would be though sort of a disservice to only focus on the restaurant as iconic as it is. You've done so much more over the course of your career. Um, so I want to I. Wanna to talk then about uh maybe some of your more ventures because we are a podcast that likes to focus on sports marketing and the business of sports outside of the arenas but inside the arena of at the time the skydome you had mentioned that you you had uh uh, uh developed the or, or gained the rights to have uh uh, uh oh, <laughs> why is the name blanking on me right now uh, uh hard rock cafe right. hard rock cafe in there and you also had a box in the skydome you you were were and and the family were very commonly seen in in the box in the skydome very iconically, at one point, for having a hot tub installed in the box. You did your homework. Where did this <laughs> idea come from? That is, uh, and I actually have a picture from a news article of you in the hot tub, which which I'll I'll put on you YouTube. Don't YouTube. <laughs> no, you, don't, you don't want to show that. You um, don't want to show that.
2: Where did that idea come from? The suite had an area that it, it was strange. An area to the left of it, which was like a, an elevated area with nothing on it, no chairs, no anything. It's just carpet. Right. And it was an extension of the football press box that never got used. And so, um, your crazy friend John McDermott, Mm.
0: who who we will talk about in a little bit here, your name came up in our. We had him on this podcast, and yeah, he mentioned you a couple of times. Uh,
2: John's a dear friend of mine. John is talking with me one day, and and I jokingly, we're at a game, and I say, "Well, that's where we're going to put the hot tub." Mm. Pure bullshit call from me. Just I'm just I didn't even just having some fun, yeah. Well, about two, three weeks later, I get a call from, I'm in my office in the, in the Sky Dome, and I get a call from a loading dock saying that the, there's a hot tub there for delivery. <laughs> go, what? You know, there's a hot dog there for a delivery. So I phone McDermott up, and I go, did you? He goes, it's there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so we thought, let's have some fun with it. So we, we let them put it up there. We had to hand bomb the the water from the sink. To the oh, geez, wow, a a thousand buckets of water later, or whatever it was. And we had um, just a family night there. And um, uh, I jumped in for a bit, and they and John was there. And he said, Do you mind if we take one picture for promotional purposes? I said, Yeah, I do. And he said, Well, just the guy that supplied it from Oshawa or something like that. We took a picture. So, Norm Betts to the Toronto Sun photographer just happens to be waiting at the door. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah,
2: comes in, takes some pictures. Um, I get out of the hot tub, the phone rings, uh, it's my father calling from Florida saying, (laughs) did I just see my crazy son in a hot tub at Skydome? Yeah, dad, it's too too long a story to talk to you about right now. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) I love that. So the long and short of it is the next morning I get up and going down to to work, it was a Saturday morning, that was a Friday night, and um, my wife asked for a newspaper, so I back in the days when you used to go to... Paper box, a newspaper box. I yeah. go around the corner, and the Toronto Sunland looks kind of strange. It's just big, a lot of green in it, and I'm going, wow, that's weird. And I walk up, and I go, oh, my God. <laughs> so that made the cover? Made the cover.
1: Oh, wow. I mean, it's iconic. Like, it is an iconic image. Who would expect to see a hot well, tub Well, since there? then,
0: everybody's got hot tubs in the arenas now. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> got hot tubs in the arenas. I saw a picture of a guy sitting in a hot tub. I didn't know it was there. There was some, I don't know whether it was Photoshop, but it was right next to the glass. Where was that? Oh,
1: like in a hockey,
0: in game. the hockey rink, a hot tub next to the player's box.
1: Maybe it was Photoshop. W- what are you more proud of, Tom? Starting the trend of of uh, arranging <laughs> restaurant deals with athletes or the trend of hot tubs in arenas? Who knows? Uh, that's that. I love that story. And speaking of John McDermott, obviously, if, if the listener, if you're not familiar with John McDermott, he was an anthem singer for the the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, as well as the Boston Red Sox, a, a singer in and of his own right. We actually and we're had going this have a concert of his to go to.
2: Yes. Yeah. We'll yeah.
0: see you there. He, Christmas concert. He, he invited me a few years ago to this Christmas concert, in the family, and we, we couldn't go, we couldn't go, because we always had things going. And finally, we, we found a, one of the dates, one the year that we went, and now it's it's part of our Christmas. So special. Just He is so good yeah. in a church with a, a surrounding uh, uh, acts and, or, or artists. Phenomenal, if you get a chance. Look it up. I don't know how to. Uh, you, I'm sure if you Google, if you it, you Google find John, John McDermott, we're yeah. all going, and it's going to be great. It's going to be is great. It, that is
1: this Saturday, as of yes, the release of yeah. this episode. So, uh, uh, with John McDermott on the brain, I do have some rapid fire questions that he wanted me to ask you if we ever had you on the podcast. Some quick <laughs> I, ones. You may not
2: answer all. You of may that. you may need to
1: plead the fifth on on one of them that I see in particular. But we've got one. Uh, what does a nine wood mean to you?
2: Oh jeez! I think John is the only person I know that has a nine wood and he he can hit it 110 yards. He can hit it 190 yards <laughs> the, out of the sand, out of the rough. I just, I've never seen a guy use a nine wood like that, but he it's magic in his hands.
1: Okay. So he wanted me to ask that question so that you would compliment his golf skills with a nine wood. I, I see that.
2: I won't compliment any any of his other skills. No, no. Okay. They're, they're non-existent. <laughs>
1: Uh, second question: uh, um, Have you? Uh, can't believe we're asking this. Have you ever stabbed anyone with a fork?
2: <laughs> no comment.
1: <laughs> no comment. Okay. No comment on that one. We don't, we don't want
2: uh, any any more. Uh, people uh, getting all I'll say is my this. father promised never to have dinner with John and I after that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I uh, maybe off mic. We'll we'll get the 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 in depth story there. Uh, And the other one, this is to sort of uh, cue us up and maybe talk a little bit about your charitable pursuits as well. But uh, can you speak a little bit about fundraisers for the Toronto Artillery Association that I think you would have done in in tandem with with John?
2: Well, what happened was a number of years ago, I was asked to be an honorary Lieutenant Colonel of the Canadian uh, uh, the the Toronto Seventh Toronto Regiment, which is a division of the Canadian Artillery and um for a Canadian artillery and it was just a fantastic thing because there's so many great people in the military that we never really meet i mean they're fortunately we don't have reason to meet them but right you know they're just great people to be around they're highly intelligent people and i i kind of fell in love with the group and uh served in in that role for almost six years and uh one thing that they're not very good at and another charity i'm involved in pro-action cops and kids same thing police officers and military guys aren't really good at raising money right they're really good at executing stuff though. Yeah. And yeah. they're really good at, at finding common causes and, and e- executing those at a high level. So I did what I'm not bad at. I raised some money for a couple of causes, Canadian military, the hmm. Royal Canadian army. And, uh, um, one of the highlights now is the John McDermott Christmas show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually do a remember state show with John too. And a Christmas show. And we have a number of sponsors that uh, cover the cost of it and make donations back to the uh, Toronto artillery foundation. But, uh, Um, it would not be what it is without John's commitment because John makes it. I mean, as Brian was saying, what's special about John is he just doesn't sing. He tells you the story behind the song. Yes, and it, all of a sudden, the song takes on an emotional meaning for you when you've heard the song a million times before and just thought it was a nice song. Right, right. He's so good at that. Yeah. I he he tells at his at his concerts
1: a story about uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas tree, which is my favorite uh, uh, Christmas movie. And every time he tells it, I, I tear up a little bit. I, I love I love that story, and uh, I'm also fascinated. You mentioned Pro Action, uh, a great premise for an organization to put police officers in touch with with young kids for physical activity, the arts, that sort of thing. Was this an idea that you had come up with, or is this something that you had uh, uh, started in, in tandem with with
2: other groups? Well, what happened about 30 years ago, uh, my dad yeah. had lunch with then-chief William McCormick, and they were good friends for a number of years. And then one of the t- topics of discussion that came up was, what happened to the cop on the beat? The, he used to be in right. every neighborhood. He was the judge. He was the jury. He was the referee. He was the go-to guy for kids. He was the go-to guy for anybody. Yeah. If you had an issue, you went and saw it. Constable Bob, and Bob would sort it out for you.
1: Cop, cop on the beat. Just to interrupt quickly in case you're you're not familiar with the, the lingo. Is a cop on the street? Yeah, you know, p- patrol a patrol person. Who walked, now you're an really area, holy. Yeah. You're dating us.
0: Like when you have to explain that to people, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling I'm really old. I'm
2: impressed. Mike knew that. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Sorry. So, yeah. um, with the urban or suburbanization of the city with people moving out to the suburbs. uh, It became impossible to put cops on the street. They had to put them in cars. And once they put them in cars, they lost that personal contact. So my dad asked uh, the chief if, if cops still became cops to make the communities better. And chief said, absolutely. 99.9% of them do that for that reason. They just want, they, they just want to make the community better. So my dad said, well, if I raise some money, will you, let the cops know the money's there for them to to run these programs, and so they said yes. And my dad got uh, nine corporate friends, and with us, uh, each put up one hundred thousand dollars, so got one hundred thousand dollars endowment. The idea back in those days was, and you can't relate to this, but your dad and I can. This was in the era of fifteen percent interest rate. So the idea was that the the endowment would would raise fifteen percent, one hundred fifty thousand bucks a year, and they put that into programs. Oh. Well, within two years, interest rates were down to 2 and 3%, so huh. it became much more traditional fundraising. But I joined it 25, 26 years ago, and uh, the police officers are incredibly special, but the kids they work with in the community, I mean, you got to remember, these kids are coming from countries a lot of times where the police officer is not your friend. Right. And we're trying to tell them that the police officer is your friend. Right. And it, it's culturally different for these kids to accept until they can actually spend some time with them. And Of course. One of my favorite stories was... Um, the two cops told it at a at one of our golf tournaments, a fundraiser. But uh, they ran a a football program down in 51 Division, down in Regent Park, and all these kids wanted to do was play football. So they generally we stayed away from buying equipment, but this time we bought kids the entire football, the entire football team, all their equipment, and these they play exhibition games. And the kids fell in love with the cops. The cops fell in love with the kids, and it was just a great program. So one night these two cops are in 51 Division and they're on patrol and they're, uh, they end up in a highly difficult situation and it actually starts getting physical. And the one guy, one of the perpetrators is trying to take the gun out of the officer's holster mm-hmm. and they realize this is going to be life or death and they kind of get control of the situation and they look up and there's a number of people from these people, the, the two perpetrators, ethnic group, that are around them. And the cop said, I really thought my number was up. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere... Couple kids come forward and say, Hey, those are our coaches. And all of a sudden, all of the people from the community helped them. Oh, s- wow. R- hold the people to get control of the situation. And it was one of those situations which you can't put a price tag on, you just say, Thank God the programs were there and the cops had a chance to develop a relationship with the kids because it came through big time. With I it. actually uh, have goosebumps hearing yeah. that story.
1: I mean, it's something that never would have happened. As you mentioned, you know, a lot of people coming in and assuming that that cops are are their enemies, but to put uh, a police officer in touch with someone from the community and, you know, just just that handshake of 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 common understanding right. of humanity and then having it pay off in a situation like that, as you mentioned, is 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 literally priceless because who knows the it's way that could have gone? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what we're we're running a little bit low on time we haven't even touched on the Toronto Raptors and and everything that uh, that your family did to to bring them to to Toronto so maybe we save that for a potential uh, you
0: know what if if I'd love to get Tom back there's so many more stories we've talked about uh, the restaurant a lot and there's there's the well we uh, we continue to touch on the the Gretzky Fantasy Camp which you're always a yeah, part of yeah. and and the uh, and the Raptors which was a big part of the success of Frameworth, one of our yes. biggest jobs in, in the early days, was sure. with with the Raptors when they first came to town for their first game, and uh, with with that and the Blue Jays got us on our feet at the beginning. That, that were two of our biggest jobs. So
2: and it got you into the bar business, yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and we
0: opened uh, we opened Garduni's right virtually the same time that you opened, right. and we didn't get into the history of. Uh, of the rest, because you had a restaurant that was a Meteor, right? Or was, right. was where that location was that was then changed into Gretzky's or, or just, renovated.
2: Just quickly, so Wayne, when he was injured, it was November. It was Great Cup weekend, and uh, Wayne came up to, the, to spend the weekend in Toronto. Um, so I had a, a bunch of site visits planned for him. So him, Mike, uh, Walter, and I get in the car, and we start driving around downtown Toronto. We look at all these different sites, and I could just see none of them are really – catching Wayne's eye it's just not there's they're not connecting so we're driving down to Wellington before the uh, condos were there the, and you could actually see the restaurant from Wellington and we're heading to the Skydome to have lunch at the Hard Rock Cafe and uh, as we go by the restaurant Mike says to Wayne oh that's Tom's st- that's the family steakhouse yeah and uh, Mike goes can we go see it because you uh, did a good job on that so I figured fine so we pull up the front of the building. It's like 11 o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock in the morning, or 12 o'clock noon. and uh, The staff's not even there yet because Saturday we don't open until 6. So I walk in, I turn on all the lights, and Wayne looks goes, this is this, is, this it. is it. Yeah.
0: And what number of the street was it at the time? It was 41 Peter Street back then. 41 Peter Street. And a little bit of And somehow, <laughs> with a little bit of pull, and when it became Blue Jay Way... And then, I don't know, this number 99 yeah, came, came up. up. I don't know how something. many numbers they
2: had to skip <laughs> to get it, but it, 99 blew Jay way, right? And to Wayne's credit, uh, that was met with a lot of resistance when that was proposed. and made the front page of the Globe and Mail, the national edition. And uh, I felt so bad, I called Wayne up and I said, Hey, Wayne, look, uh, if it's all the same with you, I'll just pull it and we'll kill it and be, be done with it. I really apologize. I never thought it was going to be this big a hassle. Wayne's comment was hey we paid the price already but just let it let it go and see what it, see what happens about two months later back when they used to televise city council meetings on TV on Rogers uh, Channel 10 I'm in bed at night it's got to be 12: 31 o'clock in the morning I'm flicking through the channels and they say now the matter of the renaming renaming Peter Blue Jay's way up to King Street and uh, and adjusting the numbers on the street or something like that all in favor. And like 32 out of 33 councilors vote in favor of it, and I, I I woke my wife up and I said, "Listen to this, because I I may be dreaming." <laughs> and, she, and Karen goes, "No, no, that's what they're saying. They're they're changing the name of the street, so it, it, it made it through." And I give Wayne all the credit because if it was up to me, I would have just killed it and ended ended the whole application process. But, it, but it's Wayne part said, of the, I paid the But he said, "I paid the pr- we paid the price, so let it ha- let it go."
0: Why wouldn't the city have done that for for? Somebody that's done so much for Canada, but not just Edmonton and, and the and the cities that he played, but for Toronto yeah, and, yeah. and Brantford. And- well,
2: in fairness, Merrill Osman was the one who initiated it, and he was the one who kept saying, No, we're going to push this through, we're going to push this through. And he, he was getting resistance from the council. And I agree with you, Brian. Like, we have an iconic brand that wants to set up house in Toronto and be part of Toronto's future as, as we move forward. Yeah. And resistance to it. Well, we have talked no about sense.
0: the people that come here, not just, just to, to go. Some people just come to the restaurant during the summer. They want to see the restaurant yeah. and they're coming from out of town. They're bringing dollars into the city. Why wouldn't if, you do if that? We're,
1: if we propose to a company like Amazon that they could come here and not pay taxes just because of the amount of influx of business that they'll bring, you'd think it would be easy enough to say something like, we'll give you a number 99 because that's, it's, 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 it's paperwork and then it's iconic. Yeah, but it's also uh,
0: politics. So it's also again.
1: politics. Uh, speaking of iconic, I think this is quite the iconic interview. Tom, do you have anything that you're working on right now that you want to send people towards? Anything uh, that you want to raise awareness about before we get going?
2: Uh, no. There you go. <laughs> We've already
1: talked about all of it, but you'll continue, obviously, with your your charitable pursuits there, and uh, maybe we'll get you on again and, and talk a little bit about the Raptors because that is a whole story right, that we didn't get into. You can fill a podcast story. on that, yeah.
0: And Olympics,
1: and Olympics as well. Uh, so thanks once again for joining us, Tom. Uh, absolute pleasure talking to you and reliving all these memories. Uh, for Tom Bito, for Brian Aaronworth, president of Raymond Sports Marketing, and myself, Mikey Aaronworth. This has been the sign off podcast, and this is us signing off. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching The Sign-Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Frameworth Sport, or Instagram, at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at, @retrograde_mikey, Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram, at Aaronworth. The Sign-Off is a proud product of Fadoo Productions and Sad Styles Productions, Executive Producers, Mikey Aaronworth, and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey Aronworth, signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles
0: Productions. Get into it!